in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter number 4. Zechariah chapter number 4. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, well, let's, let's actually start at verse 1. We'll read down to verse 7. As we're continuing on in our study concerning grace, so we see it here mentioned in the Old Testament uh, in regards to uh, the blessings that would be on Israel that God is promising to them. And Zechariah, of course, writes uh, much concerning God's blessings, especially uh, the messianic blessings in regards to the coming of Christ and what he would be uh, and how they would recognize him and even all the way through to end times in, in the, the salvation of Israel that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 11. Uh, these are things that Zechariah gives to the nation of Israel uh, even here uh, 500 years before Christ and uh, at the same time of, uh, that Zechariah wrote uh, this, Haggai was writing as well. Um, and so this is, this is the people that uh, that he's writing to particularly are those that return from exile in Babylon. And he's writing the, these particular prophecies to them to encourage them as they are have returned to the land, they've built the walls of Jerusalem, they're building the temple uh, the, after, the, uh, uh, after the, that, that time in Babylon. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the temple, Solomon's grand temple, and they're building the the, the new temple now there in Jerusalem that was not very grand at all compared to what Solomon built, but at least they were going to have a temple. And so they are in the process of building that temple, and, and these, these prophecies are being given here to Zechariah that he's given to the children of Israel, and he, and he talks here about grace. But notice here, as he says in verse 1, he says, The angel that talked with me came again, and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep. And said unto me, What seest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick, all of gold, with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered, and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Now notice that's a small L, so he's talking to him in a sign of respect. He's not calling him Adonai here, uh, which is big L. And so he's, he's, he knows he's talking to an angel there. It says, Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying... Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. What a, what, a, what a wonderful verse there. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. That's how everything's accomplished. That's how everything is done. 
That's how every work is, is, is worked for our Lord. It is by His Spirit. It's not by our power. It's not by our might. It's by His Spirit that it is accomplished. It's by His Spirit that it is done. He is the one that works all things according to His will. And so it's not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And then He says, Who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? Thou shalt become a plain... And he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Grace, grace unto it. And so here, Zechariah gives these prophecies concerning these blessings that were coming to Israel. And some of them they, they, were, they realized in Zechariah's day in the sense of finishing the temple that they were building at that time. He prophesied concerning that, and yet most of them were yet future prophecies that they had not realized. Uh, and some of them they still have not realized. Especially you get over to chapter 12, chapter 13, those prophecies there concerning the coming of the Lord, when at last they will look on Him and see the piercings in His hands and His feet, and they'll ask Him, where was it that you were pierced like this? And he, his answer to them will be, in the house of my friends. And it will be there that they will look on him. Chapter 13 tells us that they'll look on him and see him at last as king, as Lord, as Messiah. And it's the prophecy that Paul tells us about as well over in, in Romans chapter number 11 when he tells us there, and so all Israel shall be saved. He says there in chapter 11, verses 25 and 26 there, as he describes that, that future redemption to, to fulfill the promises that God gave unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He, he is a covenant-keeping God, and He will keep that covenant that He has made with that nation of Israel. And so this, this is about, as it declares to us, His grace. Grace Grace unto it. This uh, particular lesson tonight as we look at this is going to concern itself with how grace saves. How grace saves. So note first of all some of the provisions of grace. Grace not only meets our present emergency, but it provides for future Blessings. It provides for eternal blessings as well. Grace provides uh, all that is required for us before God. And it, it, it gives us all that we need in this life to face the things that we face. Grace does not always remove our trials, it does not always remove our struggles, but it always gives us what we need to go through them. As we were looking at just uh, a few weeks ago there in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as Paul speaks about that thorn that he had in the flesh, and he desired that that thorn be removed from him. Lord, I would... I'd be able to serve you so much better. I'd be able to. I'd be able to do my job so much, more, such more, such more, so so much more efficient. 
if this was just removed from me. I, can you imagine, Lord, how great of a, 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 a disciple, how great of an apostle, how great of a preacher I would be if this, this thorn wasn't in me? Can you not remove that from me? And we, Paul didn't tell us what that thorn is, and there's all kinds of conjecture of what it could be, but it was something that was bothering him back. And Paul said, I prayed thrice for it. Three times, Lord, take this from me. And then the third time, the Lord answered him. And the Lord's gracious answer was, no. No, Paul. That he, he healed all of these others. Thousands, maybe that he healed, came to him in the way. As he was, during his earthly ministries, he was going about to these different places and all of these people coming. He worked all of these miracles on behalf of these people. And, and here Paul comes to him, one of his most faithful servants. I don't believe, I, I believe as far as apostles go, Paul outshined all the rest of them. I mean, he was just, he was just so faithful in the work that God had given him to do. And yet, Paul had that one thing, that one problem, that one ailment, that one thorn, Paul calls it. He said that that was given to him by Satan to buffet him. That's how he looked at it. It was, it was a thorn for the purpose of of beating him down. It was, it was a thorn for the purpose of, of keeping him depressed, keeping him weak, keeping him unable to do the things that he thought he should be doing for the Lord. He was sent to him as a messenger from Satan to buffet him. And so he prayed three times, Lord, take this from me. Lord, I, I can't handle it. Would you take this from me? This is too much for me, Lord. Can you take this from me? And his third time, the Lord answered, and he said, no. No. So I can turn back to that passage there in 2 Corinthians, chapter number 12. Second Corinthians 12. Verse number 8. Well, let's read verse 7 too as he speaks of that thorn. He said, Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, No. He says, my grace, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So Paul's answer was, I've given you my grace, Paul. That's all you need. My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength, he said, is made perfect in weakness. It is in Paul's weakness because of this thorn 
that the Lord tells him, my strength is seen in you. My strength is displayed now through your weakness. Everybody knows about, about that thorn, Paul. Everybody can see you afflicted by that. Everybody can see how it, how it drags you down. Everybody can see how it, it bears on you. And yet, you, my strength is shining through you as you continue to do the work that I've given for you to do. And so he says, my grace is all you need, Paul. My grace is all you need. So grace doesn't always take from us everything we want it to take. But it always supplies for us exactly what we need to get through those things that are in our paths. My grace is sufficient for thee. Now, before Paul got an answer, this thorn was a messenger from Satan sent to buffet him. That's how he viewed it. When he got the answer, however, from the Lord, even though it was a no, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul then says, most gladly therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul's whole attitude was changed about this when he found out God's grace is sufficient. Paul said, I, okay then, I'd rather glory in these infirmities. I'll glory in this thorn that you've given me that God's grace would shine through it. That was more important to Paul. Therefore, I take pleasure. Take pleasure. It was a messenger of Satan to buffet him before. But now with the answer, he says, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. So God's grace, God's grace supplies us with all that we need. His grace, His grace is sufficient for us. It's not just, it's not just for our salvation. It's for life. It's for us to live His grace. We need His grace constantly, every single day. And so it's for us to live, you see, the grace that he gives us. Jesus said, him that cometh to me, cometh unto me, he says, I will in no wise cast out. God's grace is manifold. There is sustaining grace for seasons of sorrow. 
There's triumphing grace in times of temptation. There's preserving grace for days of discouragement and trial. There is teaching grace. There is living grace. There is even dying grace. His grace is manifold. And we need it. We need it every single day. Every single day. And he gives it every single day. Salvation by grace is what the scripture teaches us. As we've already been looking at that very thought. And as we've also saw there, if you go over to to, uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, We've already looked at these passages pretty extensively in regards to this. But we see there that in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul's pretty clear that grace eliminates or destroys all room for boasting in ourselves. Very simply, no person is sound on grace who is boasting in the things they have done. They miss grace. They miss what grace is. We read there in Ephesians 2, Paul says in verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that, that faith, that's not of yourselves either. It is the gift of God, he said. So grace is a gift from God. Faith is a gift from God. He gives us both those things. And yet that's how He saves us. For by grace are you saved through faith. And He gives us both of those, grace and faith. And then He says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Because that's what we'd be doing. If, it, if, it was, if, we could, if we could gain our salvation by works that we have done, we would be talking about those works that we have done all the time. Oh, well, well, I'm more saved than you are because I've done this. Oh, no, no, wait a minute, no. No, my, what I've done, see, I've done it more times than what you did yours. So, yeah, yours might be pretty big, but I've done what I've done more times, and so my grace is more than yours. So I'm saved more than you. That's how it would work out. That's exactly what it would sound like. And we'd be coming to church on Sunday morning just to brag about what we did through the week. How we kept, how we, how we got ourselves saved, how we kept ourselves saved, and what we're doing this week to keep ourselves saved further. That's, that's what it would all be about. That's not salvation. We, we can't, we can't be saved by our works. They are, as Isaiah 64, 6 tells us, they are as filthy rags before God. Our works. In fact, Isaiah puts it, our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. So the very best, he says, the very best that we could do, the very best that we could offer the Lord, the very very best of ourselves that we could lay before Him are filthy rags in His sight. Grace is what saves us. 
And grace is a gift from our God. He is the one that has provided it. And he is the one that has done all the work to provide it. Work. He worked, yes, to give it to us. You see. And so it's not of our works, but it most assuredly is of his work. Most assuredly of his work. And so grace, in grace, there is no place for us to boast in ourselves. Verse 19 of chapter 1, uh, there of Ephesians 1, verse 19, Paul says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe according to the working of his mighty power. So Paul says, God has blessed us. He has given to usward, he says, exceeding greatness of his power. He has, he has blessed us exceedingly. And he is that that is has been given to us who believe. Right? So those who believe have received that exceeding greatness of his power to those who believe. And who are those that be, who how is it that we've come to believe? I guess is a better way of putting it, according to the working of his mighty power. He's done it all, you see. Every part of it. He's worked it for us. He's brought it to pass in our lives to give us His salvation, to give us this grace. It is not by our works, but it is by His works that it is accomplished. All graces, all graces are fruits of the Spirit. Like in Ephesians, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5. We see there verse 22 and verse 23, these fruits of the Spirit that are mentioned here as Paul gives us account of these. These are graces from our God that are worked in us. They are fruits that are produced in us because the Spirit of God is in us. Not because of something we've worked up in ourselves. But they are found in us because of the Spirit of God in us. And so they are produced by Him in us, you see. So he says, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no Law. So these things are produced in us by the Spirit of God present in us. That's how those things come to be. That's how we produce these fruits for our God in our lives is by His Spirit dwelling in us, producing these in us. And He produces these things in us. So these things for a child of God ought to be found in us. These are, now, I understand the flesh. And so there, because of the old nature, because of who we are 
in the flesh, I realized that these things, these fruits, though they be produced by the Spirit of God in us, there are times when we'll feel these things waning in us. Because there's too much of the flesh in the way. There's too much of self that gets in the way. And so we won't feel the love. We won't feel the joy. We won't feel the peace. We won't feel that long-suffering. We won't feel that gentleness and goodness and faith like we ought to feel. The meekness and temperance. It's not going to be... There's times when those are not going to be as strong in us. But for the child of God, when those things don't feel so strong in us, that is a clear sign to us, you know, I'm probably not where I need to be. I'm, I'm, I'm not feeling these fruits in me that ought to be in me right now. And so that clearly tells me I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I'm going to have to get busy with the Lord. I'm going to have to come to Him. So that these fruits then are made more evident in us and in our lives as we, we go through our daily walk with Him. Salvation by grace means God is to have glory in our salvation because He's the one that has worked it. And He does all things for His glory. He does all things for His glory. He will be glorified. And so in, in Him glorifying us in that salvation, in Him glorifying us, He is glorified. You see. And so He gains glory from giving us grace. Salvation by grace does not give license to sin, as we were talking about last time. Looking there in... in uh, what the Scriptures teach there, in fact, Sunday morning there in Romans chapter 6, we looked at it as well that time on Sunday, concerning that reality that there are those that feel, well, if I'm saved by grace, and, and where grace does abound, or where sin abounds, grace does much more abound, so I can get more grace if I sin more. That was, that's the silly attitude that some people have. They, and... and we, we think about it and, and, and see it even written. It's like, oh, that's silly. Somebody would think something like that. But that was exactly what they were thinking in Paul's day. And, and listen, it don't take very long to talk to people today to find out it's how they think in our day as well. And that's not what grace is. Grace is not a license to sin. Because of grace, what happens in a child of God, because of grace, we hate our sin. We, we, it, the, the reality of it in us, there's a hatred that comes in us because of it. That it should not be in us. And yeah, we're going to fail and we're going to sin, we're going to come short, but we hate that sin that's in us. That would drag us from our Lord. That would make us cold in Him. We hate that stuff that brings us away from Him as the children of God. And so salvation by grace does not give a license at all to sin. The, the 
there, there are basically two dangers concerning grace. The first is the danger of frustrating it. And this is done when one teaches that righteousness can come by keeping the law, by doing some works, by performing some deed, that I can through that get grace. That's frustrating grace. And Paul says here in Galatians chapter number 2 and verse number 21, he says here, if I, rather he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So he says, I, I, I know, it don't come by doing the law, it don't come by doing works, don't come by me doing particular deeds. He says, because that's... It, if that's the case, then there is no reason for Jesus to die. If I can gain it myself, if I can work it myself, there is no reason for Him to die in my place. Jesus, He says there is dead in vain even. If I can somehow earn it, if I can somehow do it to get grace. So that's the first danger of frustrating grace. The second is the danger of abusing grace. And that's when one uses grace as we talked about Sunday, to justify a life of sin. Well, yeah, I know, God's going to forgive me. Yeah, I know, I, that's probably a bad thing. I probably shouldn't, but God, God forgive me. That's, that is abusing God's grace. And can that come out of a child of God's mouth? Yeah, it can. It can. Should it ever come out of a child of God's mouth? Absolutely not. Because we are abusing, abusing God's grace when we are declaring, well, He'll forgive me. God understands what I was going through at that moment. He understands what that person did to me. He understands, he understands how I feel. And, and so he, he knows why I sinned. It's abusing His grace abusing his grace when one uses grace to give themselves excuse or to even justify their sin one who abuses God's grace one who abuses God's grace needs to be careful they need to be checking do I really have his grace? Do I really have his grace? I'm saying God's people can say stupid things, and we do. We can think stupid things. We can even feel stupid things. We do. But if we could say that, if we can abuse God's grace in such a manner, we need to be checking ourselves. Do I truly have God's grace? Grace does not save by enabling us to perfectly keep the law. This is the way many people think that grace saves, that they are to be busy now doing God's law and, and keeping it, and so then if I keep it, and I'm, I'm doing all that the law requires of me, then, then grace is able to work then. 
They confess man is not able to keep the law, but grace makes him able now. But there are four objections to this false view of how grace saves. First of all, this would not satisfy justice for sins already committed. Again, and we made, I've made this illustration to you before, if from this moment forward, if this, from this day forward, I, from now on, from now on, God, I'm going to keep your law. And I'm going to do it perfectly. And I'm, I'm not ever going to fail you from this moment forward. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to do it. And I'm never going to fail you in it. And even if that were possible to do, even if we were able to go forward from this day and keep it perfectly, what about today? What about the sins of today? What about the sins of yesterday? What about the sin nature itself that was passed to me by my bloodline? So there's, it wouldn't satisfy justice for those sins already committed. Secondly, it would rob Christ of any part in our salvation. If it's something that I can do, if it's something I can keep myself, if it's something I can earn by me doing certain things, then it takes Jesus out of it. It robs Him of His part of any part in our salvation. Thirdly, it would make the Holy Spirit Savior instead of Christ. Because if, it's, if He's the one that's given us the grace and He's the one present with us, then He would be Savior and not Christ Jesus as Savior in the work that He accomplished for us. And fourthly, in the new birth, in the new birth, the sinful nature, as we've already discussed over and over again, the sinful nature is not eradicated. It's still there. And so when one is saved, we receive a new nature that is implanted within us, and it is sealed by the Spirit of God in us that no sin can enter into it. But there still is very much that old nature that's a part of us. Romans chapter 7, Paul details that for us from verse 15 on through the end of the chapter there. He details that reality that there is that constant struggle now. After that we have have grace given to us, after we have salvation, now the new man is put in us, but then there is the old man that's very much a part of our flesh, and now there's a warfare between the two. And we're struggling against that flesh, struggling against that old nature constantly. Secondly, grace does not save by overlooking our sins. God's grace is not given to us and then just, I'm just going to forget about it. It's okay. I, yeah, I know. I see all that you've done. I've seen all of those sins you've performed. I've seen all of those wickednesses. It's all right. I'll give you my grace. We'll just forget about those. It's not how it works. Our sins are not simply forgotten about. 
because grace is given to us. They're not simply overlooked because grace is given to us. If that's the case, that's how it's worked. Grace would be given to us at the expense of God's justice. At the expense of His holiness. And if that's how it is given to us, if He can just simply forget about our sin, if He can simply overlook them and say, well, you know what, I'm, we're just going to drop off. We're just, you know, just going to count those, those bad days. We'll just forget about it. If He does this, then there would be no need for Jesus to die on the cross if God's simply just going to forgive us, if He's simply just going to drop it, if He's simply just going to overlook all that we've done. There would be no need for the death of Jesus. But in fact, that is the very reason Jesus died. The very reason that He died. The very reason He went to the cross for us. Because His purpose in dying in our place is to satisfy the justice of God. To satisfy God's holiness. My sin, every last one of my sins, He bore in my place and paid for them in my place. So that God's holiness, God's justice, God's righteousness is satisfied by Christ Jesus for me. And now that it's satisfied for me, that He's not overlooking them. Jesus took the punishment for them. He bore them in my place. And then because He's now bore them in my place and, and, and became my substitute in my place, now grace can be, can be given me. My sins are forgiven in Christ and He can cast them away from me as far as the east is from the west, that they'll never more be remembered because they were perfectly paid for in Christ Jesus my Lord. They weren't overlooked. They were paid. They were paid so that God's justice, God's righteousness, God's holiness is perfectly satisfied. What does grace do in salvation? Grace saves from the guilt and penalty of sins by placing every one of our sins on Christ Jesus. And so grace saves by punishing Christ Instead of us. And he willingly gave himself for that. The Bible even says that it was a joy for him to do. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the Father. Now the joy was not the cross. The joy was not the suffering. The joy was not 
the, the, the beatings is not, not the, the lashings that he received. The joy was none of those things. The joy, his joy, the joy that was set before him, the joy was you and I. That's, that is absolutely marvelous. The joy was the saving of his people. That's what he saw. That's what was set before him. And because, because of that joy, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. He, 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 he endured those things for us because of the joy of redeeming us unto himself. Hebrews 9, verse number 26. Hebrews 9, verse number 26. Paul says, For then, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He appeared to put away our sin. First Peter chapter 2, verse number 24. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Charles Spurgeon says, Grace is everything for nothing. Grace is everything for nothing. Christ free, pardon free, and heaven free. He says grace is the morning and evening star of our experience. Grace puts us in the way, helps us by the way, and takes us all the way. Let's all stand and we'll be dismissed.